perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for this bird's eye view of the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible from the beginning to the end. With this podcast, we are beginning with the prophetic books of the Bible. These prophetic books contain the mighty promises of God. So, what is your definition of a promise? When the man and the woman stand at the wedding altar and promise each other, what are they doing? They are committing themselves to give of themselves to each other. A promise then basically is a commitment to share yourself. If you give a promise to someone, you are committing or sharing something of your time, your energy or your resources with that person. That is what a promise is. It is a sharing of self. The great promises of the Bible are the assurances of God to share himself with us. When we understand God's promises, we will begin to understand something more of the nature and character of our God. Every promise is a commitment on God's part to give of himself. This is why an understanding of the prophets is so important to us when reading the Bible, because it is here that we understand what God says he will do. How can you exercise faith if you don't have a promise to base that faith upon? Faith is of absolutely no value if it does not rest upon a promise. A promise is the fact that faith takes hold of and then it makes available all that God wants to give. Here is what Hebrews 4 verses 12 says about the word of God and the promises that it contains. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Only the word of God can cut into our lives and change us by cutting away that cancer of sin and delivering us from all the chains that have enslaved us. Furthermore, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 declares that God's word is a word of power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who have been saved it is the power of God. We must not forget the tremendous power that is hidden away in it. Dr. Richard Halverson, a contemporary of Billy Graham, wrote once about the time he was addressing a group of students one night. During a question and answer period, one of the students asked him, Dr. Halverson, how can I make the word of God relevant to the situation in which I live? He was about to answer that question when time ran out and he had to carry it over to the next night. He retells of the next day when he was thinking about that question. The longer I thought about it, he said, the more I began to see the underlying egotism of a question like that. How can I make the word of God relevant? He thought of what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 18 said, The word of the cross is the power of God. So when the time came to answer the question the next night, he said, I would like simply to substitute the phrase, the word of God, in this question with what the word of God says is the equivalent, that is, the power of God. The question would then read this way, 
How can I make the power of God relevant? How can I, a puny human creature, make that which is the power of God meaningful to human life? Well, that is the most egotistical of questions, isn't it? As Charles Spurgeon once said about the Bible, You are wasting your time defending it. You don't need to defend the Bible. The Bible is like a lion. Who ever heard of defending a lion? Turn it loose. It will defend itself. The scriptures are just like that. Now we come to the books of the great prophets of the Old Testament. There are 16 prophetic books, but we cannot dwell long on them, just long enough to discover what each book has to say to us. It was never the intention of this particular series of podcasts to go into any sort of depth with every book. This series of podcasts, which I have called The Bible from the Beginning to the End, was intended to be like looking at a map before setting out on a journey. We would survey the whole of the Bible and would discover the central themes common to every book. So at the end of the prophetic books, we will have discovered what each book's promise is because, as I said earlier, an understanding of the prophets is important to us when reading the Bible because it is in these books that we understand what God says He will do. The promise of the first prophetic book, Isaiah, is essentially the promise of the cleansing of God or the promise of a new beginning. Isaiah 1 verses 18 is the key verse of the book of Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The prophet Isaiah experiences this promise himself in the 6th chapter, verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Isaiah's reaction is clear in verse 5 when he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Now what was God's promise here? An angel took a burning coal from the altar, touched Isaiah's lips with it, and declared that his guilt was taken away and his sin was forgiven. This is the promise of a new beginning, and God commissioned him to go and declare God's promises. Who would not be able to see that Isaiah 53 verses 5 contains possibly the greatest promise in the entire scripture. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. 
Isaiah affirms that whenever we discover that in weakness and failure we have wandered off into sin and despair, God always has a place of a new beginning. In the book of the prophet Jeremiah, we have exactly the opposite. Jeremiah is the promise of the absence of God. God promises to be absent or not found in our life under certain conditions. Now, I am not implying that God is actually absent. He is everywhere, but he promises to leave us without any sense of his fellowship or of his person. He does this deliberately under certain conditions. This is the message of Jeremiah. See what Jesus declares in Luke 13 verses 35 when he told the spiritual leaders of Israel, Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Throughout the whole Bible we have references to this. Often in our own incredible vanity and egotism, we attempt to defy God and then we refuse to bow our wills to His. God will ultimately let us have our way, and so we wander off into weakness and desolation of spirit, exactly as Jerusalem was finally left desolate. Jeremiah was sent to Jerusalem to declare to them that their city was lost and that they were going into captivity for 70 years. Here in Jeremiah 15 verses 3 to 4 and 19 to 21 it says, I will appoint over them four kinds of destroyers, declares the Lord, the sword to kill, the dogs to tear, and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And I will make them a horror to all the nations of the earth because of what Manasseh the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Therefore thus says the Lord, If you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, and they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. The book of Jeremiah, however, closes with a bright ray of hope. God never leaves us lost. When our heart repents and we turn back, then the promises of Isaiah become operative, the promise of a new beginning. Ezekiel's book is the promise of the presence of God, opposite to the promise of the book of Jeremiah, which was the promise of the absence of God. Ezekiel is the Old Testament book which mirrors the corresponding promise in the New Testament of John 14 verses 23 where Jesus promises, And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and I will come to him and make our home with him. The prophecy of Ezekiel begins with a vision of God which is the most remarkable vision of the whole Bible. This is a book which explains what God is like. Ezekiel 1 verses 4 to 10 tells us that, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were gleaming metal and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. 
Under their wings on their four sides they had human hands, and the four had their faces in their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Ezekiel opens with this marvelous vision of God. By the way, these four heavenly creatures will appear again in Revelation 4, verses 6 to 9. Ezekiel closes with a vision of the temple of God, where God is at rest with his people. In between the first and the last vision, it shows how God moves to bring about his presence in the human heart. Daniel is recognized by many theologians as the greatest prophetic book of the Old Testament. It reveals the promise of the illumination of the human mind by God. Daniel corresponds to Jesus' New Testament promise of John 8 verses 12. Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The book of Daniel is the story of a teenager, namely Daniel, in captivity and in a hostile environment. It tells us how God enabled Daniel to stand against the most powerful empire in history. The book of Daniel shows how God illuminated this man's mind to enable him to see through all the deception of his day and to see the truth of the living God and what God was doing in that nation and to predict what God would do with all the nations down through the course of history, even beyond today in 2023. Hosea, in my opinion, is by far the most beautiful book in the Bible. It is a love story, the story of a broken marriage and the heartache of unfaithfulness. It is a story of the persistence of God, the promise of God's persistent redemption. It is the New Testament equivalent of the promise of Philippians 1 verses 6 which says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is the story of how God sent a prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. When she left him and returned back to her sinful lifestyle, God sent Hosea back to her again to redeem her to himself. This woman gave Hosea nothing but heartache, shame and humiliation, but God kept Hosea's heart aflame with love for her and finally she was won back and restored. It is a truly marvelous story. It pictures beautifully the love of God. In Joel you have the promise of the meaning of history. If you are troubled by what is going on in the world, just read the book of Joel. The New Testament promise of Romans 8 verses 28 links with Joel. That promise declares, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Joel shows how God is at work among the nations, bringing about his promises so that even the tragedies and the catastrophes are all part of his plan with history. The book of Amos is the book of the promise of perfection. Jude verse 24 is the New Testament equivalent of the promise of Amos. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The promise of the book of Amos is that God will never let down his standards. When we say, Lord, I have grown so much and I am much better than I was ten years ago, I think I have grown far enough. 
Then Amos comes along and says, No, God will never be content with this. He will never rest. He will never give up until he has brought you through to the absolute perfection of Jesus Christ. Amos is the book of the plumb line of God. Obadiah is the promise of spiritual victory. It is a story of two men, Jacob and Esau, who are the symbols of those who walk in the spirit and those who walk in the flesh. This book is the equivalent of the New Testament promise of Romans 6 verses 14, which says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Obadiah is the book which declares that the flesh is always a failure, but that the spirit will always triumph. Obadiah 1 verses 21 says, Saviour shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Isn't this what we want in our lives? For the kingdom of our lives to be the Lord's? We are constantly fighting this in God's program, but God has a way around it. The book of Obadiah is the promise of that victory. This is David Wiles, your fellow traveling Christ, and this has been the podcast of the Bible, From the Beginning to the End, Episode 14. Music